a fingertip away, a play away, a step away, that's life. When people say that you only have one road to success, this is the thing we're going to judge you on only. That's a lot of pressure. Folks, there are moments that occur when you're a sports fan that are just impossible to describe. You come home, long day at work, have a late dinner, get your beverage of choice from the fridge. Your family goes to bed and you flip on the old TV and then you see something of great interest. You know those nights? Just a way to kick back and relax, right? Not interest, mind you. I said great interest. It rarely happens, but when it does, it gives you a level of euphoria that's impossible to describe. And last night, I had one of those nights. Folks, it's Mike Randall coming to you on the Screen the Screener podcast. I'm solo today. Gus Kearns and I will be back next episode to finish off our top 32 college basketball preview. But here where we talk all things college basketball, I felt compelled to come down and talk to you after what I watched last night. As we enter the college basketball season, and if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably as excited as I am. Mother Nature's tricking us right now, though, right? Warm weather, still football season, and it's hard to conceptualize and replicate the feeling that exists in those brisk November days when the college basketball season begins. So when I find a show that gets me to withdraw early from the daily grind, that daily Willie Loman-esque boots-to-the-pavement life, You sit back and you allow it to consume you, and that's what I did. Say what you want about ESPN. We know they're the leaders in sports entertainment today. I mean, there's other shows, Fox Sports, CBS. They all have their place. But as far as these 30 for 30 series that started back in 2009, I got to tell you guys, I'm all in. And the basketball ones they have produced really have been exceptional. Let's think back. Gosh, the first one I remember was what? Len Bias? It was without bias. Produced by Kirk Frazier back in 2009. We all remember Len Bias, cocaine-induced heart attack two days after the Celtics selected him as the second overall pick in the 1986 NBA draft. It had a huge impact on casual drug use, and it was especially highlighted in the sports community. Len Bias, folks, if you did not see him, would have been one of the greats. And a lot of my friends that are Celtic fans still talk about Lenny Bias. So that was a great one that they had there. Then they went to winning time, Reggie Miller versus the Knicks. Dan Clores produced it, and that talked about Indiana Pacer Reggie Miller on the New York Knicks in the 1990s, the impact he had, all those last-second great shots, all those great duels in the Eastern Conference finals and semis, last minute, the whole choke to Spike Lee thing, right? We all remember that one. That one was incredible. Then they went guru of go with Bill Coutier in 2010 that talked about Paul Westhead, his coaching tenure at Loyola Marymount from 85 to 90 where that team was known for the high-scoring running gun, right? Six seconds, how to get the ball up, get it in, eight eight seconds, whatever it was. And talented players, they had Bo Kimball, and then, of course, Hank Gathers, who tragically died on the court in 1990. One of my other favorites, they produced the Fab Five, the story of the 91 Michigan men's basketball recruiting class. Um, 
and Chris Webber, of course, was involved later for that notorious pay-for-play scandal. And he wasn't in, he wasn't interviewed for that, but that was great because they changed the landscape. They changed the way it was cool to play college basketball. Baggy shorts, attitude, fast break, dunks, and a lot of you younger people may think that dunking. And the art of expressing yourself by throwing one down on the break started with Michigan? No, folks. It started with the ones I'm going to talk about in a little bit. One of the other ones they did was the Requiem for the Big East. Uh, That was the collection of the original Big East Conference. It started with the the rivalries, regional rivalries, and how it grew to national prominence. And pretty much the most successful college basketball league at the time. And then how it ended up fighting for survival around 2010 with that whole conference realignment where teams vacated, went to the ACC. That was a great one. People who love the Big East watch that. And I've met so many people who've watched that and actually teared up a little bit because it's sad. Because that's a memory of when we were younger watching that as well. Love the Bad Boys. That was another one. Looking back at the Pistons, right, in the NBA, the late 80s and early 90s, what a great team that was. Chuck Daly led that group. Isaiah was the star. Dumars won the, the, the finals MVP. But Lambeer, Mahorn, Edwards, and of course Robin, those are the guys... And Vinny Johnson, right? The microwave. He's always, he can heat up in a hurry, right? That was a truly great, great team. But I will tell you this, folks. All of them fail in comparison to what I watched last night with Phi Slamma Jamma, produced by Chip Reeves. And it looked at the Houston Cougars, iconic Phi Slamma Jamma college basketball team of the 80s. I mean, I have to tell you, I would be remiss if I didn't sit here, come down, and talk about Chip Reeves. He grew up in Houston, and he told the story last night of one of the greatest teams in college basketball history, period. Period. And I'll tell you what's great. In this world, folks, where people have to win, right, we've become too focused on, well, if they don't win the whole thing, they don't matter. Really? Why is that exactly? Why don't they matter if they don't win the whole thing? That's what I like to know. Sustained success over years is what matters. And what Guy V. Lewis did, that was their head coach, Guy V. Lewis, right? I want to change my middle name to V. Guy V. What he did in creating that team changed the landscape of college basketball forever. The dunk was outlawed. Dunk was outlawed in the the late 70s. It only became allowed around that time. And what Guy V did is he went down to Houston and he said, I'm going to let players be themselves. We're not going to fit people into a cookie cutter way of playing the game. And he brought in talent from all around the Houston area, recruited locally, and brought in these names that are still legendary today. They talked about Hakeem Olajuwon, how he came over in an airplane by himself. He had three tickets to go to, to visit three schools, and it was so cold in New York, and I think it was St. John's or whoever was recruiting him was late to pick him up. He pulled out a Nigerian baggage handler and asked him which of these three places have has weather that's closest to Nigeria. He points to Houston. That's how he ends up in Houston. What a great story that was. And that's just one of many. Clyde the Glide Drexler, NBA Hall of Famer, was there. And they talked about the story of Benny Anders. That's what this one was based around. They basically paralleled the story of Benny Anders, who many thought at the time was the best player on that team or was going to be the best player from that group. 
and how his rise and his demise sort of paralleled the Houston Cougars. That team went to three straight Final Fours. Think about that. Three straight Final Fours. First year they went, they lose to UNC in what was a legendary, legendary battle. And that was the Michael Jordan team, the James Worthy team, the big smooth Sam Perkins. And they lost. And it was stunning that they lost. But they had this feeling that they would be back the next year. And they did. They came back next year. They won a great game against Louisville. They made the finals. And of course, that's the year with Jimmy Valvano with him running around. And they chart that last play and how Wittenberg threw that shot up and was almost stolen by Anders, who said at the time, gosh, it was crazy last night. He said at the time that he thought he had it. He was going to steal it. He was going to dunk the ball. And they were going to be national champions. And instead, Lorenzo Charles grabs the air ball, which is what it was, and beats Houston by Slamajama on a jam. Think about that. How ironic that is. And then, even with losing players, they still get back the next year, all the way back. And they end up losing in that game the third year in a row in the Final Four. It was a great team. And Guy Lewis has been criticized Because in that game against NC State, which was played in Albuquerque, was played in the high altitude, after getting to the point where they were down at half because Clyde the Glide was in foul trouble, and they battled back and took a lead, he slowed the game down. Because I think he thought his players were tired, and he thought, let's let them come to us. And by slowing it down, he obviously made a critical mistake. But that should not define the man. The man who started Phi Slamma Jamma should not be defined by one moment. It's like those NFL fans who say that Buffalo Bills team that made four straight Super Bowls isn't as good as a team that won one Super Bowl. Are you kidding me? And Marv Levy's been criticized for years. Really? So Marv Levy, who went to four straight Super Bowls, four straight, isn't as good a coach as Barry Switzer because he won one? Really? That's what we're talking about. Guy Lewis's impact on Houston, the court's name after him, the whole area was incredible. And folks, if you are a college basketball fan, you have got to watch the 30 for 30 on Five Slamma Jamma. It was unbelievable. I'm going to watch it at least one more time, maybe two before the season starts. It's great. And, and some of those dunks, by the way, that Drexler was doing back then, you know, MJ overshadowed him, Dominique Wilkins and Spud Webb came in, all those guys. Drexler was nasty. And Drexler could throw it down with the best of them. I mean, he's one of those guys. I think Shaq talked about it once. He said, Shaq said something like, there are some guys that you can't hit on the way up. Because if you hit them on the way up, they're going to keep going up higher. And one of those guys was Clyde the Glide. Some of those were incredible. But I, I can't thank Chip Reeves enough for that, for, sh- for putting that together. It was an incredible, incredible 30 for 30 in a long series. He had said in an interview I heard today, that he had also produced the Brian Bosworth one, uh, which was also great. But the way that he narrated it, and they basically went on a search for Benny Anders, because Benny Anders has dropped off the face of the earth, still alive, um, and they do end up, at the end, finding him. But it was a brilliant documentary. So it, it got me excited. I had to come down here and talk to you about it. The 30 for 30, five slam jamma on that Houston Cougars team from the early to mid-80s. Boy, They put basketball on the map in Houston. I think they really were the ones who started the dunk and got people going above the rim. Um, 
gosh, some of those highlights, the videos, you, it, it's just a much must watch, a must watch. And you sit there and you think about it. And I couldn't help because, you know, I didn't know a lot about that team. You know, a lot of people near my age are going to think of Michigan. And Michigan's a team that brought all that and the, the attitude. No, Houston had the attitude. Guy Lewis could have used a curfew once in a while for some of the guys from what I heard. But besides that, he he collected talent. And you'll hear it you'll hear it with coaches today. It's about talent. You need players. And he was the first one to do that. And he went into Houston and he recruited within Houston and got a lot of players who weren't even getting drafted. Clyde Drexler came on and said that his name in the media guy when he got to Houston was Charles Drexler. Really? So kudos to Guy V. Lewis for getting that team to three straight Final Fours. I have to tell you, one of the most impressive feats that I've seen in a long time. I don't care they didn't win the title. Again, we've said it before. Gus and I were talking about it in the last podcast. Sustained success. That's what this is about. You have to be talented to do that. To win a title, I think you got to get some luck involved as well. I mean, this is something that may not be popular. Dean Smith is one of the greatest coaches of all time. But let's face it, his two titles were involved in end-of-game situations that probably weren't traditionally looked at as, you know, all with forced turnovers and, and, and things he created. The Freddie Brown pass was not something that was created by massive pressure. And the Chris Webber travel and then timeout. So one could argue, as great as Dean Smith was, one of the greatest, if not the greatest coach of all time, it was even hard for him to win two titles. So listen, Guy V. Lewis is not in the same era as as Dean Smith, but he did an outstanding job with that Houston Cougars team. And I think people really needed to hear that story because they needed to see how great that team was. It truly was unbelievable. So folks, if you get a chance, definitely watch it. All right, so what I thought we'd do, folks, is let's take a look back at last season. Um, George Santayana, the uh, the poet and essayist, is the one who originally coined the phrase, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. So when we start looking at this college basketball season, we really should start by looking back at last year, remembering how the year ended, and seeing if we can learn some lessons from certain teams and things that we now can apply this year so we won't make the same mistake. So I'm going to go region by region from last year's NCAA tournament and see if we can remember remember some things and project it this year as Gus and I talk in the future about the teams and who we like and why we like them. So last year, let's go back to a tournament, tremendous NCAA tournament last year, 2016. We're going to start in the South bracket. That's where Kansas, who was the number one seed overall, member won the regular season, Death Taxes and Bill Self, right, uh, down there in the, in the Big 12, and they won the Big 12 tournament. They were the one seed uh, in that bracket. What was interesting is when you look at that S-curve, and I remember looking, you you try to see what one seeds aren't going to win or who can be vulnerable for the upset. So right off the bat, I like to group them by sections of eight. So uh, Kansas, Austin P. okay, please. All right, it's a 26-point win. Then there was Colorado, Connecticut. Certainly with Ollie's track record and Connecticut's track record, I thought that maybe Connecticut could give them a game, and they were okay. They were competitive. Connecticut was a pretty easy upset in that 8-9 game to to pick against Colorado, um, but Connecticut still just didn't have the firepower. They got that 
sort of je ne sais quoi, that ability to step it up in the big moments, even though they had up and down year last year. Um, and Gus and I talked about that four overtime game against Cincinnati in the in the in the tournament, and their conference tournament is crazy. Um, but I just didn't think they were going to be a threat. So Kansas pretty much had a layup to the Sweet 16, which usually is what happens to your number one seed, unless you're Kansas and you run into Northern Iowa with Ali Farouk Manesh from a few years ago. But we'll get back to that maybe at some other point. Matter what happens on this possession, unless there's a foul by Kansas, Kansas is going to get the ball back. Northern Iowa is going to have to shoot it before the shot clock runs out. Oh, my. In the bottom part of the south bracket there, that, that, that first eight, you had a very interesting battle between Maryland and South Dakota State. South Dakota State was a hot team coming in. People liked them in that upset. You're always going to pick a 5-12 upset, right? We know it happens at least one every year. Um, but Maryland got past them 79-74, and they set up what I think all of us expected but didn't happen, was a great 5-4 matchup with California. But then Ty Wallace breaks his hand, and they run into Hawaii. Aaron Gano out there uh, doing a great job coaching Hawaii. Hawaii bombs California 77-66, and then runs out of gas against Maryland. So we did get the Kansas-Maryland um, Elite 8 game up there, or Sweet 16 game, rather, that we wanted. Now, in the bottom part of that bracket, you had, Temp- you had Villanova and UNC Asheville. And listen... I always try to look back and say, what did we miss about Villanova? I mean, Villanova had a very good year, and we we, we liked them a lot. They got as high as number one. Um, I think what threw us off, to be honest, if you think about it, is they opened the season on that Pearl Harbor Classic game on the Carrier um, back in uh, was it December, early December, I think, and they got blitzed by Oklahoma 78-55. So I think that that game kind of stayed with all of us. And I think for some reason, most of us thought that Villanova was a, a level below the top teams, even though they have great guards. Um, Jay Wright's a, a great coach and, and has had a lot of experience in the tournament. But I think that's what kept us from noticing how good they could be is because of that game. I even know Villanova fans who said, oh, we got blown up by Oklahoma. So it was almost like they didn't feel they were an upper echelon team. They follow that up two games later. They lost at Virginia, no shame there, 86-75. Um, but then they went on a bit of a run, one, two, three. I think they had about nine, ten wins in a row until a loss uh, against Providence in, in overtime in, in, in Philly. Um, but they were a solid team. I do remember with Villanova, which was interesting, it was February 24th. It was um, the game at Xavier. And I remember we'll, we're going to do our segment called Fishy Lines. And that was Villanova, number one in the country for two straight weeks, four straight games. And they're going to to Xavier, and they're an underdog. Now, Xavier was number five. I get that. But I don't think the number one team in the country should be an underdog. I I just don't think so. And the line was Xavier by one, um, and they ended up losing that game. But after that, they played really well. And again, I think they just had critical losses that made you say, oh, this is the typical Villanova team. It's not going to get very far. Even though the, 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 the algorithm they had, great guard play, experienced coach, you know, played big teams, seemed to fit. And then they lost that Seton Hall championship game. And listen, folks, when you fill out your bracket, cut the nonsense about the rules. Well, if they're hot, they have to stay hot. Really? 
Because I've seen a ton of teams win their conference and win their conference tournament. New Mexico a few years ago. I think Arizona did it a couple times. Seton Hall this year. They won the, the tournament. They were hot. They had great guard play. Boom, they go in the tournament. Gonzaga, see you later. So there is no pattern. There is no rule. There is no if you're hot coming into the tournament, you are going to continue hot. Or if you're not hot, you can't flip the switch and get hot. Off the top of my head, I'm thinking back to VCU and Shaka's run. So that that was it. It was the big games with Villanova, which I think threw us off because it's almost like, well, they got blown up by Oklahoma. Well, they lost to Ed Xavier. Well, they lost to Seton Hall. So there was almost this feeling, what big games did they win? But then they went on a run. And when we came into that tournament, you looked at their bracket. And it's funny. They weren't losing to UNC Asheville. Fine. I think people were a little nervous of the Temple-Villanova battle of the Big Five, right, game. But it didn't happen. Iowa goes to overtime, beats Temple 72-70. And then Iowa team that didn't play any defense most of the year. They really were not a good defensive team, even though they had Utah and they had uh, uh, Jock and, and the crew. Um, Villanova just they could not match up with them so Villanova came out of there and then we had Arizona Wichita State which was a classic one right Wichita State had the first round game then they play Arizona and that was another one Wichita State was favored in that game so Vegas has the 11 seed Wichita State favored over Arizona folks you see those lines there's a reason all those buildings in Las Vegas are there those big tall buildings right because usually they're right that's another one because I remember I filled out my bracket and I really liked Arizona because I thought Arizona would win, would be Villanova, and I thought that they could match up with Kansas. They had the experience, Sean Miller. But folks, when they were an underdog in Wichita, you could turn the lights off after the first 10 minutes of that game. So Wichita went on, played Miami, actually got that game close. Miami beat Buffalo in round one, and then Miami played Villanova, and it really was non-competitive. And that's the point at which we realized that Villanova was pretty hot. And they went into that Kansas game, uh, game was in Louisville, and they blew them out. I mean, they really were up. Kansas came back to start the second half, but I always felt that Villanova had control of that game. They only won by five. We shouldn't say blow out, but they, they had control. So in that south bracket, we're talking about upsets. You want to call the 9-8 game an upset, fine. Maryland did not get upset as the five seed. Hawaii knocked off California, but they were shorthanded going into that game. The Wichita-Arizona one, I did not see coming. I mean, the playing game team usually gets hot. So when you're filling out your brackets or uh, we're going to tell you about another thing that we like to do during the tournament as we get closer, which I think everyone here will love, but it, the playing team usually gets hot. And if you see the playing team favored over, over the, you know, higher rank profile team, you know, go take some money out folks. But uh, Miami was solid on uh, unbenefit, but solid with Buffalo with, with coaching there. Iowa had a great game against Temple really wasn't talked about a nice seven ten battle, but Iowa stayed there and Villanova rolled. So, Pretty much in the Sweet 16, you had 1-5 Kansas-Maryland. You had 2-3 Villanova-Miami. So it was pretty much chalk. It was a couple first-round upsets, but no one really got through. Um, but I, again, with Villanova, I think what you have to say with them is stick to the narrative. If you, if they, if a team has great guard play and they have a veteran coach and they've had experience, do not shy away from them in the tournament because they didn't win their conference tournament. They lost in the semis or this or that. Guards win, and if you got it, you have a chance. And that's where Villanova got to the Final Four out of that South region. All right, so let's head down, uh, take a look at the West bracket now. So same side here. We're going south and we're going west. West bracket last year, chalkiest of chalk bracket, all right? Oregon was the number one seed here. Uh, Again, there's this East Coast bias that exists in the tournament, and it drives me crazy. Oregon was a great team, real strong team. They had the one seed. They deserved it. 
crushed Holy Cross first round of 39 points. Uh, they played a St. Joe's team. Now, remember, Cincinnati was a team that we thought defensively could give some trouble, contrasting in styles with Oregon. But they had to get by that St. Joe's game. That was a tough, tough game. Miles and Bembry played great for St. Joe's. They were a tough matchup. Big guard. Bembry was hitting shot after shot. Um, they ended up advancing and gave Oregon a real tough game in that second round. So St. Joe's advances over Cincinnati. Cincinnati just could not score in that game. Uh, great job by by Martelli. And then ended up playing Oregon and kept the game close, kept people interested. So, you know, eight, nine games frisky, folks, with that one seed. And this one certainly was. St. Joseph's lost 69-64 to Oregon. Oregon went in the Sweet 16. Bottom part of that top um, top eight teams in the West – we did have a 12-5 upset. Baylor-Yale spread on that game. Baylor by three. Very frisky. Yale came in. Remember, lost their captain during uh, the end of the season there. He was he was kicked off the team disciplinary reasons. Still beat that Baylor team. Scott Drew, just an enigma. Either they get upset in the first round or they play fantastic and, and have a nice run. But they were upset. Baylor there. Yale went on. And Duke took care of business against UNC Wilmington. Remember, UNC Wilmington, high-scoring game. That was 93-85 there. Duke did not have a big bench. Did big bench couldn't get into foul trouble. So they were just playing Ole defense for a lot of the part of that game. And UNC Wilmington, you know, intrastate rivalry game there, kept it close. Duke, remember, was scalding Yale early. Grayson Allen had like 23 points in the first 10 minutes. Um, and then Yale came back and made a game of it, played real tough, and ended up, you know, just coming up short. So top half there, Sweet 16 was Oregon Duke. Bottom half, uh, a lot of uh, uh, interesting games here that people you know may have missed. We had the AM, A&M Green Bay game. A&M blew them out 92-65. They ended up playing the winner of Texas uh, Northern Iowa. Fantastic game. Overtime, buzzer beaters, end of game scenarios. Isaiah, Isaiah Taylor played great for Texas. Shocker's first year, tough loss there to Northern Iowa. But that's going to make a, a good experience for that Texas Longhorn team. So we had Northern Iowa, Texas A&M in a phenomenal round of 32 battle. Uh, the veteran Texas A&M team made a, a couple couple bigger plays down the stretch and, and came from behind, beat that Northern Iowa team 92-88 there to put themselves in the Sweet 16 as the three team as the three seed rather. Uh, bottom half we had VCU took care of business against Oregon State, just more experience, more talent. And then we had a running gun game with Oklahoma. Oklahoma took care of Cal State, uh, Bakersfield, and then played VCU. And the score was 85-81. But, you know, you just felt if Oklahoma was going to lose, it wasn't going to be with a team that sort of played as similar as they did. And also in that game, remember, Buddy Heald was on fire. I mean, just lighting it up. Tough to beat Oklahoma in that situation, and, and VCU fell a little short. But this one, guys, was chalky. Oregon, Duke, Oklahoma, Texas A&M, 1, 2, 3, 4. Uh, and we had 1-2. We had Oregon play Oklahoma uh, in advance. Oklahoma beat up on Texas A&M, jumped on them very early. Uh, Oregon took care of Duke as well. Never felt Duke had enough to get in there. Their bench was short. Coach K was doing it with mirrors, really. Um, they just never felt the injuries as well. You just couldn't get over. You couldn't have... Allen in foul trouble. Um, Ingram was playing great, but he couldn't get in foul trouble. I felt like they were walking on glass in that in that game. But Oregon played Oklahoma, and Oklahoma took care of it and made the Final Four. Buddy and the crew. Uh, Woodard, the whole group, uh, just Lon Kruger, great experience, and took out um, took out that Oregon team early and, and, uh, and held on to go to the Final Four. So on that left side of the bracket, we had Oklahoma and Villanova going to the Final Four. Now we look across the other way. 
Let's go to the East region. Um, and this was one, you know, when I saw the bracket, it just jumped off the page at me that Indiana was, I'm sorry, that Northern North Carolina was moving on and that North Carolina had this bracket totally sewn up. So uh, looking at it, we had North Carolina as the one seed over Florida Gulf Coast. Uh, Florida Gulf Coast, you know, we all remember them and what they did to Georgetown Auto Porter that first year. But North Carolina, too much. Uh, USC Providence, last second score by Providence to go one point win over USC. That was a nice, I think it was a Friday night game. Nice Friday night game. Providence, USC. Uh, Providence wins by one. Maybe it was Thursday night, rather, first night. Uh, Providence then ran to North Carolina. Just Ben Bentel and, and Chris Dunn, great players, but not enough to, to run with North Carolina. They eventually pulled away and they started getting hot. And this is where I thought North Carolina was really a shoe in to make it to the final four. I just thought the bracket was easy. Uh, remember Cal Parry talked about being a four seed. Why are they a four seed when they just beat Texas A&M? And then Texas A&M is a, is a three seed. Good point there, coach. Uh, can't say much about that. But uh, they ended up playing Indiana in the second round. Exciting game. Indiana beat Chattanooga pretty easily in that 5-12 matchup. Uh, you know, when you have Yogi Ferrell, folks, and he's your starting point guard, it's going to be tough to have that team get upset with a strong point guard like that. Uh, Indiana beat Kentucky, made the Sweet 16, and then they played um, – they ended up playing North Carolina, and again, it's just too much. If you're going to beat North Carolina, it's hard to do it playing a similar style. Indiana wanted to run, and North Carolina was deeper and had more talent. So North Carolina advanced there, and they ended up playing in the bottom half of that bracket, which was fascinating. This was probably the most interesting sub-region of these four areas. You had the two-seed Xavier beat Weber State, no problem. And I think think we all thought that maybe Xavier could make a run. They've graduated, as Gus and I said, from the mid-major darling to the point where they're legit now. I mean, they were a legit team. They were a two-seed. They had guards. They had Matt. Chris Max did a great job there. They had big inside players. They had beaten number one Villanova already during the year. And they got upset by Wisconsin, a Wisconsin team that was pretty outmanned. Probably should have lost to Pittsburgh in the first round, the 7-10 game. The 17-seed Wisconsin Badgers, they beat Xavier in that Second round, 66-63. That was on the Bronson-Koenig uh, three-pointer in the corner as time expired. But Xavier should have had that game. They have to be kicking themselves because the next round was Notre Dame. And Notre Dame was another team that sort of snuck by people. I have to tell you, I, I didn't think Wichita State would beat Arizona on the playing game. I thought it would be Michigan. I thought Beeline and Michigan getting hot would beat Notre Dame, and they did not. And when that didn't happen, Notre Dame did the old white brow and and pretty much went on after a massive battle with Stephen F. Austin, which was the upset, right? Stephen F. Austin, 14th seed, beat West Virginia, and it really wasn't close. West Virginia was another team that people really liked coming into the tournament, um, and they just took care of business. They took him out right away, and, and Stephen F. Austin woke up with the double-double, the zero, the 20 points, 20 rebounds, just dominating, and they had that that. Notre Dame game won in overtime and then Rex Fluger with a tip in. So Notre Dame advanced by one, but they went on a nice run for Mike Bray. And then they beat Wisconsin uh, in the in the Sweet 16 game and put themselves up against North Carolina with a right to go to the Final Four. Great job by Mike Bray, who gets a lot of criticism sometimes, but does a great job with, with that Notre Dame team. And they ended up losing um, in that Elite Eight battle, 88-74. Um, solid team Solid effort by Bray. But Old Roy had some players. And when Old Roy has some players, as he says, North Carolina is going to be good. So they ended up making the Final Four. And what the last bracket we'll do is the Midwest one. And this is, of course, 
upset city here. This was not chalk. Uh, you want to say that the 1-6 matchup or the 1-2 matchup of the West or the 1-2 matchup in the South, no, this was it. Uh, Virginia finally got to avoid Michigan State. Um, they didn't think they were going to avoid them because they had them in the same bracket, uh, but Michigan State we'll get to in a minute. But Virginia beat Hampton. They beat Butler. little concern about that game coming in. You kind of thought Butler, but... Uh, it's not the same Brad Stevens team. It's got the, the hangover, but they didn't quite have the same talent. Uh, so Virginia handled them pretty easily. Then Virginia plays Iowa State. And gosh, who doesn't love Iowa State? Iowa State's fun to watch. They shoot it. They have the Hilton Magic at home. Explosive offensive team. But Virginia just clamped them. They clamped them down. And, and defense, sometimes people don't like it. It's not like it doesn't have a lot of cachet, right? But Virginia clamped down Iowa State, beat them badly. 84-71 got themselves into the Elite Eight game. Bottom of the bracket was the upset. This is upset city we're talking about. Gonzaga got hot in their playing game and pretty much smoked Seton Hall right away, which was shocking, right? Seton Hall won the Big East tournament, beat Villanova, had great guard play, checked all the boxes. That's why we love the tournament. Gonzaga gets hot. Few has the experience, so do the Zags, and they they knocked off Seton Hall 68-52. Ended up going the second round against Utah. Yaka Pertles, a team I liked a lot. Jordan Taylor in the backcourt. Uh, thought this team could make a run. They had that tough Elite Eight loss to Duke the year before. Um, you, you know, where they had the, their star player got in foul trouble. But I, I I thought they'd go farther. But Gonzaga just jumped on them right from the start and, and, and took them out. So uh, going to the bottom there of the bracket, you had Dayton as the seventh seed against Syracuse. As Gus had mentioned to you earlier, uh, had revenge on their mind from what happened the year before. Syracuse blew them out 70-51. Then we go to the second round, and that was after the upset of the tournament last year. You knew, if you watched that game, and I watched it from start to finish, Middle Tennessee State had the look. They had the look. It's almost like the lighting was better in that game. Right away, you knew that was going to be a close game. I can't tell you that in the first five minutes, I knew Michigan State was going to lose. No, I didn't. Not when they're the regular season champs. Not when they're the um, the, the conference tournament champs. But sure enough, um, Michigan State lost to Middle Tennessee State and Giddy Potts. What a fantastic game that was. Giddy Potts coming to that tournament, folks, was 50% from the three-point line. 5-0, 50%. Um, then Middle Tennessee State just, again, ran out of gas against Syracuse. If you have not played that zone, it's very difficult. Tough for a, a, a mid-major team like that to come in and get hot against Syracuse. Couldn't do it. They would have had to shoot the lights out. Got killed on the board. Syracuse in a tough battle with Gonzaga. You could have argued that this was Gonzaga's best chance to make a Final Four. Uh, lost uh, Gonzaga lost 63-60. Shot was blocked at the end. I remember that last that last shot that they attempted. And then Syracuse played Virginia. And, you know, Virginia, you thought they'd handle it. You didn't think they'd be rattled. They're patient. They're very decisive on offense. You'd think they'd be able to hit the short corner, get some offensive boards, but they couldn't. And and Syracuse just hung around, and they're long, and they had players. Malachi Richardson had a phenomenal game that game. And Bayheim does what Bayheim does, sustained success. We've talked about it. You know, the guy gets criticized, but gosh, if he wasn't at Syracuse, what would happen? And so that was it. The final four folks was set. You had the two-seed Villanova uh, from the south region. You had the two-seed Oklahoma from the west region. You had the one-seed North Carolina from the east region. And you had the 10-seed, the Cinderella team from the Midwest, Syracuse. And that was your final four. And in those two final four games, Villanova, Oklahoma, I think we all thought it was going to be a great game. But it's hard-pressed if you're not a Villanova fan with Buddy Heald on the floor 
to tell me you didn't think Oklahoma was going to win. The game was in Houston, uh, talking about shooting in a, in a big dome, right? It's tough to make jump shots in the big dome. And Villanova just came out and took the game away from them. And Buddy was off. They, they were ready. They were focused. Jenkins was, was real tough defensively and hitting some shots as well. And they played great. Um, and Villanova blitzed themselves into that final game. And they were hot. And now it's legit. Now they're hot. They're hot. Go back to their 85 team. This is the type of, of role they were on. And then the other side, North Carolina, Syracuse, they just I just didn't think Syracuse had enough, right? I mean, you're still, I feel like at some point you're still a 10 seed, right? You're still a 10 seed. It's very, very difficult to get all the way there. I think LSU did once as an 11. But, I, you know, at some point you're saying if you're running into another Cinderella, it's different. But North Carolina really may have been the most talented team in the tournament. You can say Kansas, but I'll probably say NC. You know they're well coached. They had senior leadership. They had great guard play. Guys inside, um, coming off the bench inside. So I, it was just a tough matchup. And North Carolina won easily, 83-66. And folks, that got us to the championship game, which may simply be, the, if not the, one of the greatest championship games we'll ever see between Villanova and North Carolina. And you just watched it. And I wouldn't say that I thought Villanova was going to win until about eight minutes left. And then I didn't think they were going to win, but I, I thought they had a shot then. You just expected it to be North Carolina. Page had started playing better. Old Roy's there. You know, Wright had gotten to a final now, so he kind of got the monkey off his back. He'd gone to the Final Four with Scotty Reynolds' game against Pittsburgh, the Elite Eight a few years ago up in Boston. But I, this, you just expected North Carolina and Villanova wouldn't go away and their guards were tough and they would trap and they'd steal and they push the ball they go right at Carolina and the gosh I mean how great was that Jenkins shot it was amazing I mean he won it uh, Grant Hill you know sat there and, and called Jenkins in fact I think we have that call we'll play it for you 4.7 seconds uh, Villanova trying to go length of the court with Archie Diakono three seconds at midcourt Jenkins gives it to Jenkins for the championship <laughs> You know, he calls out that Jenkins play and he hits it. But what's lost in the shuffle is the page shot, uh, the page double clutch three. And I was telling Gus and I were talking, I was telling him page has whenever you're ready, Marcus page, whenever you're ready to make your imprint on this tournament. And he waited until pretty much the last game. And then he took over. And, and if you read his lips, right, he's walking around saying, if we get one stop and this goes to overtime, we're going to win. And I believe it, but it's a stop they didn't get. And Jenkins smooth as silk. Great shot. Tremendous championship for Villanova and their fans. Phenomenal game. Maybe the greatest ending we'll ever see in college basketball. So that is your tournament, folks. There's your tournament from 2016. Houston, we're coming back this year, 2017. Uh, can't wait. So listen, thank you for listening to this Mike Randall-led podcast. Gus Kearns and I will be back soon to give you that that final top 10 of our top 32 teams. And, and folks, remember, you got to remember your history. You have to look forward to it this year. But looking back on that tournament, it's guard play. It's guard play. Don't worry about whether you're hot or not, but it's guard play and big coaches. If you find that, that's going to be a Cinderella you're going to want to put through. So stay tuned. Listen, rate us on iTunes if you like what you hear. Subscribe to us on iTunes as well. You can follow me on at Fantasy FTSY Warrior Mike, FTSY Warrior Mike on Twitter, or you can follow the podcast on our Twitter handle, S the S Podcast, S T H E S Podcast on Twitter. Uh, thank you for listening. 
do yourself a favor, buy Slam and Jamma. I took you through the tournament. Let's get ready to rumble. The Screen the Screener podcast, folks. We'll come back to you soon. Thanks so much. I'm addicted to the appetite.